what I wanted to create was a movement, uh, a movement of social awareness where we realize that these are living, compassionate creatures with feelings that have come over thousands of years to depend on us, to rely on us, and they are our responsibility. I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today, we welcome Julian Javor from Pet Rescue Pilots to discuss flying shelter pets to their forever homes. If you're new to this podcast, in each episode, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We Save Each Other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. If you love dogs, you'll love Dog Words. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Thank you to everyone who's downloaded, subscribed, rated, and shared Dog Words. Now that you're a follower of the podcast, take the next step and become a participant. Let us know what you want to hear. Go to rosiefund.org and send suggestions for topics and guests. And everyone, please follow Rosie Fund on social media, especially the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel that offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and Shelter Dogs, including some exclusive content. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Thinking about starting a podcast or want to take your podcast or audio production to the next level with quality audio equipment? Visit Sweetwater.com for the unbeatable selection, competitive pricing, and industry-best customer service. Their sales engineers will help you figure out what will best meet your needs without any upsell. Whether you're a veteran audio engineer or a rookie podcaster, they'll communicate at your level and you'll be confident that you're dealing with someone you can trust, like we do our engineer, Josh Pippen. Josh not only set us up with a perfect podcasting package for recording at home and on remote, but I've also used him for putting together studios for my consulting clients. Go to Sweetwater.com for all your audio production, software, hardware, and guidance. That's Sweetwater.com. On today's episode of Dog Words, we are pleased to welcome Julian Javor of Pet Rescue Pilots. Julian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be talking to you guys today. From your uh, organization, I think people probably have already figured out a little bit about what you do, Pet Rescue Pilots. I think people can connect the dots. Let's start with the pilot part. How did you become a pilot? Why did you become a pilot? You are correct. Uh, I think we went with a very descriptive name here, and uh, <laughs> so the that's the just name good branding. Us. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I have been a lover of aviation and a lover of animals my entire life. And when I say lover of, I don't mean just had a slight interest in. I mean I demanded at the age of four that we have pets in our household. And I demanded that my parents request clearance for pushback before uh, <laughs> we would leave the driveway. <laughs> uh, the, the aviation Do you ever sit in the driveway for hours just saying, okay, we can't leave for another 30 minutes. And, yeah, and then 30 um, minutes later, it's going to be another 30 minutes. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've got flow into the grocery store here, flow delays. <laughs> so, uh, Expect further clearance in Everybody 15 minutes. Everybody just sit minutes. tight. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I certainly do play out aviation scenarios in my head quite a bit, especially in a time like this where the COVID-19 situation has 
kept me from conducting pet rescue flights at the same regularity. You know, I, I, we do what's called chair flying, where we simulate entire procedures, passenger briefings, takeoff briefings, instrument briefings, etc., just to stay fresh and current so that when we get back into the aircraft, it's like nothing changed. Kind of like walking through a heist, like on an Ocean's Eleven movie. Exactly, or the Italian job. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. I've been Italian jobbing my rescue flying uh, for the last two months. (laughs) Good practice. Yeah. But no, really, the the lover of aviation really is more of a, a infatuation or obsession. I played every version of Microsoft Flight Simulator. I had the throttle and joystick controls. Every time my family would be flying anywhere, I would conduct the flight on our flight simulator before we left. I would brief instrument plates. I knew what an instrument approach looked like before I ever set foot in an airplane 20 years later. So aviation has been something that I knew I would be involved in. And finally, at the age of 24, I had the resources and the time to go get started. And I never looked back. It just within 17 months, I had received my uh, commercial pilot certificate and was off to the races. You talked about always being a lover of pets and wanting to be a pilot. Had you put the two together prior to getting your license? Had you ever thought about, can I combine these two loves? Honestly, no. I dreamt of being an airline pilot my entire life until uh, the age of 13 when my grandfather and my mom both became ill at the same time. And when I say ill, I'm talking about more life-threatening conditions. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, neither of them passed at that time since my grandfather has passed uh, and since my mom has gotten a lot better. But uh, my airline pilot dreams kind of went out the window at that time because being faced with mortality for the first time I realized that that is a job that keeps you away from home mm-hmm. more days of the month than you get to sleep in your own bed. And, and family was the most important to me. So, so I kind of shifted gears and set the aviation dreams aside, even though I never stopped admiring and observing from afar. So when I did start my training, I really didn't know what to expect. And I certainly did not expect to make a career out of it because I had already gone a different route on the ground. So, um, the pets thing was just really a a blessing. I I, I got my commercial pilot certificate and everyone knows that flying is, is a a hobby that requires quite a bit of capital. It's not a cheap hobby. No. So, uh, once I earned my commercial certificate, I really felt like, well, gee, I, I, I don't think I would enjoy flying to get a $500 hamburger with my friends. I think uh, I I need a purpose. I need a mission. So I started looking for volunteer opportunities for pilots who had licenses who could complete missions. And uh, I I, I stumbled upon Pilots and Paws, which is an amazing forum that puts pilots and rescues together to help transport dogs uh, greater distances than cars can travel. And I conducted my first rescue flight through them November 9th, 2017. And uh, now I have rescued over 530 pets. I do it out of my own twin engine aircraft uh, with my own contacts and under my own nonprofit pet rescue pilots. The shelters or other organizations that have a need 
does that get rated somehow? Because obviously you can't help everybody. Is it just first come, first serve, or what's the most desperate need? This has been a constantly evolving process as it's become more official, obviously now being in its most official state ever. When I first started, uh, Pilots and Paws, the ride requests would be posted, and if it was something that I could fulfill, I would do it. Shortly thereafter, though, I started making my own friends in the rescue community and making my own Rolodex, and it became more of a, hey, Julian, um, are you flying this weekend? Because we have two dogs we need to get up to you know, Santa Rosa from San Diego. And uh, then, you know, once I got the twin engine and had started working with more people, I started getting requests weeks in advance. I started booking up weeks in advance to the point where I had to literally book three weekends and then say the fourth weekend is going to be a maintenance weekend. I just was constantly busy and I started taking more pets and I really developed a system where now I have rescue partners that share my mission. And that mission really ultimately is to transport as many pets out of the California shelter system as possible. It's, I believe, common knowledge, but if not, I'll share that California is always ranked among the top two states in high euthanasia rates. So for California dogs and shelters, it's typically a grim fate. It's very difficult to get them adopted. Whereas up in Oregon, Washington, and Western Canada, they don't have that problem whatsoever. It's staggeringly geographical. With booking your flights multiple weeks in advance, does that give you the opportunity to coordinate multiple deliveries, coordinate routes so that it's like I'm going to San Francisco area to Seattle and there's a dog in Seattle that needs to get to Portland. That's exactly right. So there are oftentimes multiple rescues that I'm working with on one single flight mission. And the way it works is uh, I, I now have a form where you become a rescue partner organization. And what that does is essentially sets a, a, a terms of understanding that we have similar missions, similar values, and similar attentiveness to safety, and that uh, pet rescue pilots will now, at no charge to the rescues, fly and transport for them. And it's been coordinated to the point where I've had five different rescue groups with a total of 43 pets with 10 stops along the way, leaving Los Angeles at 5 in the morning and arriving in Bellingham, Washington, about as close as you can get to the Canadian border, at 10 o'clock at night. So it's it's been very, very fun, challenging, and there are some days where logistics are certainly a big part of the equation. Certainly a lot of fun for someone who enjoys logistics and problem solving, uh, a nightmare for someone who doesn't. So I'm I'm glad (laughs) you enjoy that. You mentioned safety. What are the safety protocols for transporting an animal in a two-engine plane? It's a great question. For me personally, for the USDA, for rescues up in Oregon and Washington, for everybody's safety, I do require full vaccination records for dogs that are of age. If they're not of age, I require that certain communicable diseases be tested for and be negative. The rescue partner organizations need to provide crates for transport with the exception of certain small pets that I have crates for in the plane. I do have seven broken down crates for small pets if needed for transport sake, but uh, generally there needs to be a way to restrain 
all pets that are going into the aircraft and maintain a safe egress path for us in case of an emergency. And of course, there's always the question of, hey, can I come along on a rescue flight? That looks so cool. Well, unfortunately, that is a bit of a liability. I always have either a pilot in the right seat or an experienced pet handler in the right seat in case anything might happen in flight. And that's super important for me. So those are some of the safety precautions we take. What happens when you have a plane full of dogs who I'm guessing for most of your dogs, this is their first flight, at least half. Absolutely. Definitely most of them, it's their first flight. Of course, my personal dog, Shadow, has come from the streets of Fresno and is now accustomed to private air travel. But a little <laughs> spoiled. Dogs that I'm flying, so, yeah, when she exactly, flies commercial, she is truly a wags to riches story for, <laughs> for sure. But uh, when, when I fly my rescue flights, of course, it is oftentimes the first time flying for these pets. It is a very high stress situation for them. You know, they're going from a shelter or a rescue boarding facility where they've been mostly confined. They've been handled by a set number of people, but it's been a noisy and uncertain environment for them. They're then transported by ground to the airport in a crate, loaded into a plane. The engines start and it's loud and they're rumbling and we taxi off and we get to the runway and then all of a sudden we're at full power and we're moving around and it's like, what could be happening? But here's the surprising thing. By the time I get through about four or 5,000 feet in the air climbing, Mm -hmm. everybody is silent and sleeping. Wow. It's just, there's something very cathartic about the way the engines hum they're synchronized two engines it's it's pretty quiet actually it's a cabin class Cessna Cessna 414 which in the 70s was considered the corporate jet uh, even though it's not a jet uh-huh. and uh, in the back you can sit and have a conversation with the person next to you without headphones so it's you know not terribly loud and they really do just kind of calm down they feel safe in their crates and calm down I'm pressurized and temperature controlled. I have a heater and air conditioner. So part of the beauty of what that allows me is to fly up at 20,000 feet where the aircraft, for for those who might be listening that are interested in aviation, we have a lot less drag up at 20,000 feet. So our airspeed increases. We can get places faster. And then the animals in the back, dogs, cats, or goat, be it whatever it may, experience a cabin altitude of two to 3,000 feet typically at most. So the, the oxygen level in the cabin is the same as you would experience at about 2,000 feet above sea level. And usually we can keep the temperature at about 65 degrees in the cabin. So it's rather comfortable. What else have you carried in addition to dogs, cats, and now that we know about goats? That is the, the three types of passengers that I've had thus far. I received a request once to transport 200 guinea pigs. Uh, I received a request once to transport 30 bunnies. These are things that I certainly am open to doing in the future. There's a uh, exotic wildlife reserve here that has had to close down, and they've contacted me about perhaps moving some of their monkeys to live in sanctuaries. Oh, that would just make me very nervous. It would also. Uh, I don't want to be a in a plane <laughs> with snakes on a plane. I would also be nervous about being in a plane full of monkeys. It just seems like Thanks. they could take over. 
things could you go know, horribly wrong. Captain speaking, uh, we request no monkey business on this flight. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's all just about being prepared, being knowledgeable. I, I, I talk about safety in aviation, you know, for those people who are scared of the quote unquote small planes, knowledge is power and knowledge is safety in aviation. If you are knowledgeable and attentive, the likelihood of, of an emergency situation goes down exponentially. It's just important to be prepared. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I, I can't emphasize this enough. Don't get complacent when you have a plane full of monkeys. <laughs> I will. Don't let your guard do down, Julian. Sounds like you've had some uh, experience with monkeys. Well, ma- monkeys, they, they, just, they just make me nervous with their little, uh, they, they just seem like they would always be scheming. Maybe I, I've uh, yeah. watched too many of the uh, Madagascar movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, they are, they are very intelligent. You know, we are in a way descendant from, from the primate. Maybe so. that's what makes me nervous is they're too much like us. Exactly. I would imagine you get a lot of repeat business that once somebody, because you mentioned you have a, a network of rescue groups and shelters that use you now, once somebody finds out you're an option for a pet, you basically, you're on their speed dial? That is correct, yeah. And especially now that we just came up with this uh, affiliation form, which I'm really happy that we finally have, it delineates my terms for safety mostly. The way it's worded is that pet rescue pilots is an option for animal transport activities once this agreement is entered. And so basically I'm on speed dial. I have some rescue partners that are absolutely amazing. I want to give a shout out, in fact, to Debbie Newton of RSQ 209 in Stockton and Barks Rescue up in Calgary. They are just absolutely amazing. To give you guys an idea of what it looks like, I meet Debbie up in Stockton area, we load the plane up with between 20 and 30 senior special needs or otherwise at-risk shelter dogs. And I take the four-hour and 15-minute flight up to Calgary from there. I want to stress that's four hours and 15 minutes for these dogs as opposed to via ground transport, which would be over 30 hours to get up to Calgary. And sometimes those roads are impassable in the winter. But The most amazing part is when we arrive, we unload all the crates. Customs inspects them usually within about five to seven minutes. They're done and cleared. And individually, Barks takes each dog. They give them a physical inspection by veterinary staff that's there. They chip them if needed, if they don't already have a chip. And they equip them with a leash, collar, and sweater if it's in the winter. And then the dog gets carried out to their foster family who is already waiting in the lobby. It's like, really, I, I'm getting goosebumps just remembering what it's like yeah. to fly for them. I've uh, done four flights. It's amazing. You probably get goosebumps every time. I do. Um, I really do, especially afterwards. I try to maintain attention and focus to the mm-hmm. mission at, at hand during the flight. And it's always an amazing feeling when... You know, let's say I did like that flight that was 5 a.m. up to 10 p.m. in Bellingham. You know, it was a lovely feeling to finally get to the hotel up in Bellingham where we were going to spend the night and just lay down, close my eyes and just think about what we'd done that day and the lives we affected. Yeah, and uh, you're in a comfy hotel bed and all those dogs are getting to sleep in their forever home for the first time. 
Yep. And, uh, getting love, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's an adjustment for them. I'm sure they're not quite as settled as I am the first night, <laughs> but, uh, one thing that they do know, uh, and I can honestly say with a fair degree of certainty that when I have pets with me in the plane, and if you follow me on Instagram, you see a lot of photographs with me with animals in my lap. This is not obviously throughout the duration of the flight. Mm-hmm. This is done carefully with the help of either my co-pilot or my right seat animal handler, but they know that what's happening for them is good, that they are intuitive in that way. Sorry to keep harping on this, but don't do one of those pictures with the monkeys. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I I think that I would not, honestly. (laughs) That just seems like uh, an unnecessary risk. You mentioned. I mean, uh, if they are like us, then you know they're going to see the red button and say, "Ooh, what does this, this do? do?" Yeah, <laughs> you're on Instagram. Is there any other way people can follow you? What and what is your Instagram handle? I have two separate Instagram handles: Pilot Julian J. No spaces, no underscores. That's Pilot J U L I A N J. That is where you can see kind of my personal view on what I do, kind of my perspective of the POV. And then there's Pet Rescue Pilots, which is also with no spaces or underscores. That is my organization's handle, which actually has only been in existence for a few months, but I'm happy to say that we have a nice, healthy following there. And every day we post one post that's kind of categorized for us. We have a few types of posts we do. We, we do cockpit candids, we, we feature passengers, we do infographics, et cetera. And then we usually regram something from someone in the rescue world, some inspiring cute video to remind people that pets are here for us and we should be here for them in the same way. They're pets because we have domesticated their species and we have a responsibility to take care of them. You are actually saying exactly what my education program that I'm currently developing is focused around the unwritten agreement between us and the canine that we took the canine from a wild predatory competitor of ours and turned it into a companion under the pretense that they would help us hunt. They would entertain us and love us and provide companionship and that we would provide food, shelter and companionship and love in return. They're dependent on us for all of those things you just listed there's a segment of the population who gets the food part, but not the shelter part or the companionship part or the love part that you see a dog tethered up in a yard with a bowl of food and some rainwater. They have the right to so much more from us than what, what some people give. And what you're giving back to them is an opportunity for a dog to get more than just food, more than just shelter, to get that important emotional support that all social animals need. Dogs. Exactly. I mean, that is what Pet Rescue Pilots is more than just a pilot that flies pets on behalf of rescues out of shelters and into safe hands. It's it's a lot more than that. What I wanted to create was a movement, uh, a movement of social awareness where we realize that These are living, compassionate creatures with feelings that have come over thousands of years to depend on us, to rely on us, and they are our responsibility. 
it's our responsibility to provide them love. And the mission of Pet Rescue Pilots, the overarching large goal of it is the vision that every pet deserves to have a loving home. So we're, we're working towards that yeah. with our ground efforts as well. That's consistent with the philosophy of Rosie Fund. And what you're doing is not just transporting cargo from a warehouse to a customer. It's Correct. taking someone, and by someone I mean a dog, or a cat, or a monkey. You're taking them home. Yeah, and to illustrate that even further, by the way, in my new partnership agreement now that I'm requiring rescues that I to even rescues that I've worked with consistently in the past, but new rescues as well, is that dogs of six months of age or older or cats need to be spayed and neutered, or there needs to be a contractual binding agreement by which the receiver agrees to spay and neuter the pet upon receipt. It's great that you can get a dog to Canada in four and a half hours and they don't have to endure the 30-hour ground transportation, but I think it kind of raises the question, wouldn't it be cheaper to send more dogs, even though they're inconvenienced by the longer ground transportation, than what you can do flying a dog? That is a great question. I have a very detailed spreadsheet. I'm a pilot, right? So minutia, details, yeah. analytics. Yeah. Uh, I want a pilot who pays attention to details. Yes. I, if I so see a pilot whose socks don't match or their shoes untied, that would give me case for pause. So I've tracked all my costs for flying pets. And with the amount of pets that I now carry in the entire history of all my pet flying, all 530 plus pets, my operating cost per pet is $94. Believe it or not, people who would drive a pet from Stockton to Calgary, people who charge for ground transport, I should say, typically would charge upwards of $700 for that drive. Driving across the country is anywhere between $700 to $1,000. Driving from LA to the Bay Area is about $150 to $200 per pet. Now, people who do it for charity's sake, that's fine. It certainly is costing less money for the rescues, but I would say that you can't really compare the impact on the pet. 30 plus hours in a truck loaded with a hundred or 200 other pets who might have some sort of communicable disease that went unnoticed, Mm -hmm. who are not being let out for potty breaks. They're being forced to use their crates. They have no option. It's noisy. I I just, it's incomparable. You describe the environment once you reach cruising altitude of they fall asleep and it's just this hum and you're just floating along on the road. There's all kinds of distractions, there's bumps, there's loud noises, there's sirens, and if there's one dog that won't settle down, it's constantly barking, then they're all stressed out. That four and a half hour flight, not only is it shorter, it it certainly sounds like a, a much less stressful ride for the dog. Way less stressful. In fact, I have access to every pet that I'm flying as well. So if they were to go, for example, in a trailer truck that's set up for pet rescue, the truck driver doesn't have any access. Whereas for myself, I would either have the pilot next to me take the controls and I would go back and soothe the dog, which by the way, a lot of times if a dog is anxious and barking for whatever reason out of the blue, I can go back there and give them a few pets and all of a sudden they're quiet again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where we can access them. And I also want to address the environmental, general environmental concern of, well, 
aren't you polluting the environment? My aircraft has a smaller carbon footprint than an 18-wheeler. Yeah, you're not flying an SR-71. No. Spilling gallons of fuel (laughs) on takeoff. Yeah, Yeah. no, absolutely not. And not dumping fuel all over, and no. Yeah, this is, you know, I I have the equivalent of basically uh, two pickup truck engines, two 320-horsepower engines propelling me, and same carbon footprint of those. And then once you get to altitude... It leans out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the future for pet rescue pilots? You said this is beneficial for a short time now, but I'm sure there's a there's a plan. What's the plan? The plan for me is really, and the reason I created the organization is because I noticed that there's something appealing about the marriage between aviation and animal rescue. There's something that catches people's eye about that. And when I noticed that I had an audience, I realized I had a message. That was the impetus for pet rescue pilots. So some of the big things that we have on on the horizons right now is the education program. I actually did have a couple of speaking arrangements at uh, LA Unified School District schools set up for May, um, but those were canceled for obvious reasons. And so now I'm currently working on a video curriculum that uh, I might be able to share with schools, hopefully. It's very possible that the days of large gathered assemblies at school might be over. We're preparing for that. But regardless, pet rescue pilots... But being forced to pivot, I guess I'll have to settle for making some sort of online platform, ultimately may allow you to reach more people than what you can assemble in a high school gym. I mean, that would be the dream. I think the the concept of going viral and reaching a large audience, conceptually, it's awesome, but it's difficult in practice sometimes. I'm sure you know as the producer of a podcast that, yeah. uh, you know, obtaining an audience is not always that easy. And the larger the audience gets, the larger the target becomes on your back, and you have to be more and more cautious. Mm-hmm. But, you know, really, the Pet Rescue Pilots Foundation was a three-pillar foundation. The first pillar is that we transport pets by air from at-risk situations into the arms of safety. More pets, greater distance, less time. The second pillar was to educate and advocate through the education program, through promoting legislation that's coming through. For example, in California right now, something we're focused on is uh, there's a big push for the creation of affordable housing because there's an affordability crisis in California. People can't afford to live near where they work. And the difficulties are that a lot of landlords who are building these affordable high-density apartment buildings are disallowing pets. It's it's not fair that having a pet companion should be a luxury of the rich. Everyone should mm-hmm. be allowed. So we have a council member here who, who has been stating that it should be unlawful to deny someone residence because they have a pet. And then the third pillar is to provide resources. So one of the main things that I want to focus on in the resource area is for current pet guardians to give them accessible resources that they can use to be better caretakers for their pets and to keep more pets in their homes. Because 
getting pets out of shelters into homes is step one, but keeping pets in homes is also very important. So we're talking, and that, you know, prepping. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that that comes with education. People, if they know what they expect and what their responsibilities are when they get a dog, rather than just a uh, romanticized, idealized version of the puppy that they see in a dog food commercial, if they have exactly. a realistic expectation, then they're ready for those challenges that are going to arise. But then that also puts them in a position to enjoy the many rewards that come with having that companion. Yep. I've been working with a couple of different trainers actually to compile what I'm calling the um, shelter animal handbook. It's essentially a list of behaviors that you can expect from a shelter animal when you're integrating them into your home and how you can address these, how to be patient with the pet, information for people about how it takes three days for a dog to even accept a new situation and three weeks to fully adapt to a new situation. It's almost like pre-marriage counseling. Exactly. Exactly. Because honestly, getting pets in home is a challenge and keeping them is an equally great challenge, keeping them in in homes as well. Well, I can't say enough about how proud we are that there are organizations in the animal rescue community like Pet Rescue Pilots and what you're doing, Julian. The three pillars fully support everything you're doing there. The reason we have guests like you on is there's multiple reasons. One is to give you exposure. So anybody who thinks they can help Julian with his mission through a contribution or think that you have something else that you can can offer, just go to PetRescuePilots.org. I will put a link for that in the description for this episode, and they can contact you through the website, correct? Absolutely. And they can feel free to, to also email me at Julian, with an A, J-U-L-I-A-N, at PetRescuePilots.org. And listeners, you need to write that down because I make it a practice not to put email addresses in the description because I don't want to be responsible for all the bots that would be flooding Julian's inbox. I feel safer just spelling it out. And uh, and the great thing about podcasts, it's easy to rewind and pause and get that information. And then one of the other main reasons for having guests, particularly like Julian on, is to be an inspiration. He took his passion for pets, took his passion for flying, and created something that allows him to enjoy both passions and make the world a better place. So if you can find a way to channel your passion into helping pets, great people, the environment, whatever you feel would uh, allow you to, to best be of service, and maybe it's doing exactly what Julian is doing. Because I don't think they have a surplus of pilots doing this, do they, Julian? It's a handful of us, you know? <laughs> you, you'd welcome more people joining the, the fight, I would I imagine. I certainly would. I certainly would. And I have all of my learnings to offer that person if they so choose. If they want to get involved, some safety practices, uh, ways to do it effectively on a budget, etc. And what you said is something that I've posted a number of times, that if the world was filled with people who took their hobbies and passions and just tried to do something good with them, it would be a much better place. 
I made this point uh, a few episodes ago with Scott Poor of Mission Driven. What he does is very similar to what we do with Rosie Fund, except they have the added component of uh, they sell merchandise for profit, merchandise that funds their mission, but they're helping senior and harder to adopt dogs, dogs who've been in shelter a long time. And for anybody who had questions like, well, he's your competition. Why would you put him on your show? He's not my competition. Apathy is my competition. Apathy is the common foe for Mission Driven and Rosie Fund and Pet Rescue Pilots, that we're all on the same side. 100%. Pet Rescue Pilots, at this time, we have not yet resumed flying. Uh, We will resume flying at some point uh, in June, but I would 100% encourage anybody who follows me to donate to a flying rescue organization that has already resumed because it's a team effort. It's, it takes a village always. So Julian, if you would let us know when you're back in the air, I will update our listeners and hopefully that update comes before this show even airs. Absolutely. I am very hopeful of that as well. And if there's any pilots out there who want to do what Julian does, get in touch with Julian. He'll help you avoid reinventing the wheel and making the same mistakes he made. And if we get too many pilots, I hope we have that problem, Julian. If we get too many pilots, we'll find something else for him to do. Absolutely. We'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Someone's got to hand out the peanuts, you know? So we'll, yeah, we'll, (laughs) we'll give you a job. Again, thank you so much for what you do and for spending time with us. And we look forward to updates. Thank you, Julian. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys, what you guys do, and thank you for having me. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you again to Julian Javor from Pet Rescue Pilots. For more information or to make a donation, go to PetRescuePilots.com. Be sure to catch the next episode of Dog Words. We'll be talking to people who have successfully campaigned to repeal breed-specific legislation. Thank you to everyone who works so hard to correct misinformation, challenge stereotypes, and make it legal for Peaches and her friends to visit and live where they were previously unwelcome. I also want to thank alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Learn more about The Wires at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. Also, check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Support Rosie Fund by following us on social media, and please subscribe to the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel. You can support Rosie Fund's mission of helping senior and harder-to-adopt dogs by choosing Rosie Fund as your charity with Amazon Smile. It costs you nothing. Amazon has money to give to charities and wants your help identifying worthy causes. As always, please download, subscribe, rate, and share Dog Words. This helps us with sponsorships, then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions at rosiefund.org. And let us know if you would like to be a sponsor of the Dog Words podcast. Thank you for listening, and remember, we save each other.